Hey, Brother Cody is gone today, and so I'm going to be preaching, and we're going to jump back into the book of Ephesians that we started at the beginning of the summer. Um, and so we're going to jump back in, and let me just give you a few quick reminders of where we've been and, and what we've said so far in the book. Uh, first, we're talking about the book of Ephesians is about being gospel people, being gospel people. And so first, we are gospel people because we believe in the gospel to save us. That's the only actually uniting thing in here today. Uh, we are a bunch of random people from all kinds of different backgrounds and histories and all sorts of stuff. And the one thing that unites us as a church is that we believe the gospel. That's what makes us a church. But not only that, number two, we are gospel people because we seek to live out the gospel. So it's not just a get out of hell free card. It's not just the uh, the uh, badge of honor that makes us a Christian, no, uh, the gospel was meant to be lived out. Not just believed, but it's meant to be lived out in how we are husbands, how we are wives, how we are friends, how we handle money. It applies to every part of our life. And so the gospel is meant to be lived out. And that's what the second half of Ephesians is about. And then third, we said this, that we are a gospel people, not just gospel individuals. So we are a people. We're a body of many members. We talked about it in life group this morning. We're not just individuals, lone rangers, out doing our own thing, got my get out of hell free card. No, we're a people. We're a body. We're a community. And it's essential that we belong to one another. That's what the book of Ephesians is about. And today we're going to look at chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And I've used this word gospel. If you don't know, the gospel is this. The gospel is the good news. That's what it means. It means the good news that Jesus died to save us from our sins. The good news that Jesus died to save us from our sins. But the gospel is not just something we share with non-believers uh, so they can come to believe. It's not just that last two minutes of every sermon where the preacher, you know, gives the gospel presentation. It's not just for non-believers. The gospel is for us as Christians. The gospel is instruction for how we live. The gospel is uh, more than just the get out of hell free card, right? And so today what we're going to talk about with the gospel is this. It is a gospel of grace. It's a gospel of grace, not of works, not of earning it. It's a gospel of grace. It's the good news of grace. Grace is this, if you're writing down notes, it's unmerited, undeserved favor unmerited, undeserved favor. The word also gets translated as gift. It's a gift. It's something we don't deserve, something we don't freely, it's God freely gives it to us, not based on anything we did. It's the gospel of grace. It's not a gospel of self-improvement. It's not a gospel of proving ourselves. It's not a gospel of earning our way to God or having our good outweigh our bad. No, it's a gospel of grace. It's fully grace. It's a gift. But here's the truth. Before we can understand grace, before we can understand uh, how much God has freely given us, before we can really grasp how great this news is, before the good news can be good, we have to understand the bad news. We have to understand how bad the bad news is before we can understand how good the good news is. Does that make sense? We have to understand uh, the reality of our life without God. We have to grasp and wrestle with sin and its consequences before we can really get all that God did for us on Jesus. 
And so that's what we're going to see today. So let me pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. God, I, God, I just pray this morning that you would be uh, present in my words, be present in the explanation and the application and everything. God, I pray that you would use my words uh, to explain Scripture and for it to make sense, God. And I pray that you would do as only you can do, and God, you would have it sink into hearts. God, and you would produce belief. And you would have people realize their sin and realize they, their need for a Savior this morning, God. I can't do that, God, but I pray that you would graciously pour out yourself on us this morning. Help us to understand your word and help us to live as gospel people. Uh, so we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right, let's start in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Like I said earlier, like we've got to understand the bad news. Before I can tell you that something is good news, you've got to wrestle with the bad news. And this is the bad news. He lays it out. He says, you were dead. You were dead. See, left to ourselves and in our sin without Christ, base level, normal humanity is that we are dead. We are not just destined for death, but we are dead dead is what he says. And this is speaking of spiritually dead. We have no life. There's no blood flow. There's no uh, brain activity. We have been put on the table and declared dead, spiritually dead. And he's saying, unless you're with Christ, unless you're in Christ, you are dead. Not that you're going to be dead, but you are dead. And so the bad news today is this. We're just getting straight to it. If you die apart from Christ, you will spend eternity separated from him forever. You will spend eternity in the state that you are in, which is dead. And the reason we are dead, he says, is we are dead in the trespasses and sins that we once walked. It's important, I don't know how many of you have like nagging health issues and Maybe go through years of trying to figure out what's wrong, why you have certain symptoms or whatever. And what happens in these instances is this. A lot of times doctors through the years misdiagnose something. They say, you're having this pain because of this. And they start giving you some medicine and it doesn't work. And then some doctor says, well, you're, it's because of this. And they misdiagnose. And what happens when we misdiagnose a health issue? It doesn't resolve, right? We, we treat symptoms, but it doesn't really fix the root thing. And that's, we've got to diagnose the problem. He says, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Our main problem is that we are sinners. We are rebels against God. And that has led to our death. These two words, trespasses and sins, uh, they really mean very, very similar things. They're just slightly different word pictures. Trespasses is the idea of like, missing, uh, sorry, falling away or like slipping up or veering off course, right? That's the idea of trespass, that there's a right way to go and we've veered off course. 
And then sins carries the idea of like bow and arrow, like shooting at a target and missing the mark. Or maybe think of a test that there's a standard you have to meet. You failed to meet the standard. That's what these mean. And so what he's saying is our sin is that there is a standard. God created the world. He gets to tell us how it ought to be. He gets to tell us what is right and good and true. And we as humans have failed to meet that standard. We've veered off the road. We've chosen to go our own way instead of God's way. And the result of that is that it leads to death. We have to diagnose the problem right. Because if we don't diagnose the problem right, we'll try all sorts of things. If we're not actually dead, if we're just kind of like not great people, but we're pretty good people, (laughs) we're good old boys, right? If that's how we diagnose the problem, then we treat it very differently. But if we're dead, we need a miracle. If we're just kind of sick, we just need to work on being a little more healthy. But he says the truth is, is that sin leads to our death. And if we treat, in our, in our day, we treat sin as, as so not a big deal, right? It's celebrated, it's, it's praised, it's culturally appropriate, it's all sorts of things. But it's definitely not an offense against God that deserves death. But the truth is that what God's word says is that our sin rightfully leads to our death. God's punishment of us. But look at verse 2, he says, Uh, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So again, he's speaking to Christians, and he's he's reminding them of what they used to be. So we know there's some hope. We know there's a way out of this. It's not all bad news. He says, you used to walk in this way. And so what he's saying is, once we believe the gospel, walking in sin is in our past. That doesn't mean that Christians are perfect. If you know anybody in here, you know that's not true, right? Anybody raise a hand? No, don't do it. Um, You... This doesn't mean we never struggle with sin. This doesn't mean we're never tempted. This doesn't mean that we, man, aren't, aren't drawn back to that old life. But what he's saying is, is we don't walk in that anymore. That's not the path we're on. No, we're walking with Christ. And he describes our old life as following. He, look at verse 2. He says, we were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, Following the course of this world, I, I skipped that one. And they, these three things, they're, they're, they're describing the same way of life before we know Christ. That we're following something. We're following the course of this world. Say, before we knew Christ, we did what the world does. And, and what the world does is whatever feels good, right? If I feel it and I want to do it, I go for it. I, we do whatever feels right, whatever we think is best. That's, what, that's the course of this world, we followed the normal pattern of this world. We followed the prince of the power of the air. He's speaking of spiritual things here. And he says, we followed the enemy who is at work in our world. And the enemy's main tactic in our life is to lie to us. To try to convince us that what he says is true versus what God says is true. And we believed his words. Like think about Adam and Eve. How does he tempt them in the garden? He says, ah, oh, surely you're not going to die. Surely I, I know better than God. And they're deceived, and we're no different. Surely this will bring you satisfaction. Surely this is good. Surely if you feel this, it must be right. Since we followed the prince of the power of the air, we were won over to his ways. 
We followed the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The, the scripture says that the spirit came to do what? To steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you may have life, right? And so what the spirit wants of the, this world, the enemy, Satan, however you describe him, he's going to smooth talk us. And he's going to try to convince us that his way is best and that, that God's word is not true and that if you feel it, you should go for it because that must be true. And he's going to try to lead us down a road that leads to more and more disobedience of Christ, so much so that we would be called sons of disobedience. I hope I never have to describe my kids as that. <laughs> Some days it feels like that. Uh, but the reality is this. We are all following somebody. We're all following something. We are. And you may think you're a true trailblazer and you're paving your own way and you're doing your own thing. But the reality is, is we're going to follow somebody. We're going to follow some way of life. And the question is, where are they taking you? And what scripture says is the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you may have life. Look at verse 3. He says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He says, he's speaking to Christians, he says, we all once lived like this. And so the reality is this, every single one of us, if we are apart from Christ, we are still living like this. Our natural state is one of rejection of God, choosing our own way and following Satan and his schemes. And what does it lead to? He says it right here. He says, uh, we lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. And so apart from Christ, what do we do? We give in to whatever our biology says feels good. Whatever, whatever the world convinces us is, is good and right. He says we are, we are prone to follow our passions. Anybody ever been hangry in here before? Right? I struggle with that. I follow my passions when I'm hungry, and my passion says I need food or somebody's going to have it, right? We are prone to this. We do whatever feels good, whatever we think will bring satisfaction, whatever we think will satisfy our flesh. If we have a desire, then we must satisfy it, and that's what the world will teach today. That's what the world teaches today, and it sounds good. <laughs> it does. It sounds good, but it's not true. He says, we were carrying out the desires of the body and mind. I get the picture of like a soldier carrying out the mission of uh, the general that sent him on a mission. We were captives to our desires, to our flesh. We were captives to our, our master, the enemy, who sent us after to do his bidding and his pleasure. And he convinced us, and he deceived us that what we were doing was good, but in truth, we were becoming more and more enslaved to sin, more and more enslaved to disobedience. And he says this in verse 3, by nature, we were children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Children of wrath. It's a real, real happy, clappy message this morning, right? That by nature we were children of wrath. What is wrath? Wrath of, we don't use this word except with God, do we? 
maybe an angry father. Wrath is, is not just anger, but it's anger poured out. It's anger exercised. It's, it's punishment. It's vengeance. It's, and he says that we were by nature children of wrath. And the truth of this is, and we, we've got to talk about this, is that if we are apart from Christ, what we are and what we deserve is wrath. Because we sinned against the creator of the universe, the punishment rightfully is, is that we experience death. That doesn't feel fair to us in our world. We think, oh, that punishment doesn't fit the crime. But he's the creator of the universe. He's the God of over all things. And we're saying we know better than him when we choose sin. So the punishment rightfully is that we are children of wrath. And it, were it not for Jesus, the wrath of God would be poured out on you and me. We really have no excuse we have no defense. We have no, we have no way to wriggle out of this. It is true, and there's nothing we can do against it. And that's the bad news today, and I'm glad to be past that portion. But we have to understand the bad news if we're going to understand the good news. We have to understand the true diagnosis if we're going to come up with the right remedy, right? If you don't know Jesus... You are a son or a daughter of disobedience. You are a child of wrath. And that is, I'm not the street preacher on the corner holding the sign saying turn or burn, but that is the message of Scripture. That if you don't know Christ, left in your sin, the wrath of God will be poured out on you. And I love you enough to tell you that. We have a God who loves us. But we have a God, just like we read, that will not allow sin to go unpunished. He will not allow uh, rebellion to be unsquashed. He will rightfully and perfectly execute justice in the end of all things. And that's justice against you and against me for our sin. And if we don't do something about it, we will have to pay the right penalty that we deserve for our sin. And many people have tried to do many things to, to wipe away that sin, to wash away that guilt, to be freed from that condemnation. They've tried church. They've tried religion. They've tried giving money. They've tried all sorts of things. And none of it works. There's nothing you and I can do because we are what? Dead. We need the gospel of grace. We need a miracle if we're going to be freed from our slavery to sin. Look at verse 4. He says, but God, but God. Underline that, circle that if you're into it. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He says, but God, some of the greatest two words in all of scripture, but God, there's bad news, but God, he's, he's transitioning away from the bad to the good, from the diagnosis to the solution, to the treatment. See, God didn't let the bad news be the reality. He didn't just stand by and watch, well, they rightfully deserve that, serves them right, right? They chose that. No, God gets involved. He made a way for us to be have a past. 
He made a way for us to be freed from that and brought to life. He made a way for us to be saved. He made a way for us to be redeemed. He didn't just stand by and let the natural course of events play out. No, he stepped in. Why? Because of his character. And what does the scripture say his character is? Look at, look at verse 4. But God being rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy, yes. He will not allow sin to go unpunished, but he says he is rich in mercy. Mercy and grace are so intertwined, it's hard. My father-in-law asked me, what's the difference in the car the other day? <sighs> I don't know. I think it's like two sides of the same coin. Mercy is like pardon. Dylan told me that the other day. Mercy is like pardon, being, having your record wiped clean and being brought to zero. It's not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, right? It's the reward. It's the, the gift. And he says he is rich in mercy. He's not lacking. He's not running out. There's not supply chain issues. Like he's not wondering where his next shipment of mercy is coming from. No, it's part of his nature. He is rich in mercy. And though he has the full right to pour out his wrath on us, he chooses in Christ to pour out mercy on us. He doesn't give us what we deserve if we're in Christ. We get mercy. What else is God like? What is his character? It says that he is full of love. It says because of the great love with which he loved us. He's full of love. And love is not just this passive like ooey gooey, I love you, right? It's not, it's not feelings. This is action. This is his love moved him to action. His love moved him to, to rescuing us, to intervening. It led to his sacrifice. It led him to do something about our problem that he wanted to pour out mercy. And so he stepped in with love. We didn't deserve love. We deserved wrath. But God, he says, verse 5, we, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And this is the core of the gospel. And this is what I'm talking about. If we get the diagnosis wrong, then we get the treatment wrong. If we diagnose ourselves as pretty good people who just need to come to church so we act a little better, you've diagnosed the problem all wrong. I just need to give a little money to the church so I feel a little better. No, you've diagnosed the problem all wrong. The problem is much worse. The diagnosis is much more sinister. You are dead. But he says, when we were dead, even when we were dead, God made us alive. The gospel is not that God took bad people and made them good. It's that he took dead people and made them alive. Right? He, he brought us back from dead, just like he did with Christ. He took us from spiritual death, no lifeblood, no brain activity, to alive with Christ. He performs a miracle. That's what salvation is. The gospel is about dead people coming to life. And how does he do it? He says it's only when we are with Christ. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. The only way that we can be freed from the punishment and the wrath that we rightfully deserve is if we are in Christ. And what that means is that Jesus on the cross, when God sacrifices his son, he pours out the wrath that you and I deserved on Jesus. And the reward that Jesus had earned by his perfect life, he gives to us. It's not fair, but it's not fair in our favor. 
It's this exchange. It's a gift. And that's why he says in verse 5, by grace you have been saved. It's by grace. It's a gift. It's not because you earned it. It's not because you proved to God how awesome you were by occupying that pew every Sunday or serving with the toddlers on Sunday or whatever, right? Whatever we think earns our way. We are not saved by good works. We are saved by grace. We're not saved because we come to church. We're not saved because you walk an aisle. You're not saved because you raise your hand. You're not saved because you do anything physical. You're not saved because of who your family is. You're not saved because of the money you give. You're not saved because you're a good old boy or girl. We're not saved by anything that we have done. The only way we can be saved is by grace. It's undeserved, unmerited favor from God. Let's keep going, verse 6. There's so much more to the story than just, oh, we didn't, we got mercy and he didn't give me the punishment I deserve. Because he goes on, look at verse 6. He did way more than just not give us the punishment we deserve. Verse 6, he says, and he raised us up with him, with Christ, and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He says that we were raised up with him, and I don't, I think the picture is, yes, like, uh, being raised from the dead, but it's more than that. It's being raised up to heaven where Christ is. It says we were raised up with him. We get new life. We get eternal life. And it says he seated us with him. Where is, where is he seated right now? Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, ruling over all creation. Why does he get to sit there? Because he's the son of the king, right? And he says he seated us rebels who rightly deserve God's wrath. And he says he seated us with him. Not only are we, oh great, you don't get punishment. He says you have an eternal reward. You have an inheritance. You have a, a position in heaven that is waiting for you. You're brothers and sisters of Jesus. You're joint heirs. You get much more than just you don't have to experience death. He says I have life and life more abundantly than you can even imagine. Verse 7, he says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Paul is just, it's like grasping at straws, trying to come up with the right words to see, for us to see how big this is. This is no small thing. He's trying to get us to understand the wealth and the favor and the immensity that is ours in Christ Jesus one day in heaven. It's riches and immeasurable and kindness and grace. And we can't even wrap our head around what that means, that we're going to get to sit with him in heaven. Man, we don't deserve that. Man, that's, God, like, really? You sure about that? I don't deserve that. That's grace. And when you wrap your head around that, when you can see the bad news and you can see the reality that we are dead apart from Christ and you can see the immensity of what God wants to do in your life, when you see that, man, your life's never the same, right? When you really grasp grace. Look at verse 8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
If you, if you memorize any scripture this year, let it be that one. Memorize that one. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. We are saved by grace through faith. And we've talked about what saved by grace means. We talked about that a lot, but he says the way we get to experience that, the way we move from death to life, the way we move from unsaved to saved, the way we move from apart from God to together with God is what? What's the pathway? Through faith. That's the way. Faith in what? Faith in Jesus. So faith is, man, we use it in so many different ways. It's hard it's like love, you know, love means so many different things. I can love chocolate cake and I can love my wife and somehow those aren't the same, right? In faith, we use it so many different ways, but what he means is, is where we put our confidence, where we put our hope, what we rest in, what we trust in. And so if what you trust in today is that you're a pretty good person and you come to church and you're a part of things and you serve and you're whatever, if that's, that's where your faith is. That's what you're hoping will save you. That's what faith is. And he says the only way we are saved is through faith, faith in Jesus. And I know today standing up here that I don't deserve grace. I don't deserve. And I know that if I were to stand before God right now, my only hope would be to say, God, I don't deserve to get in. I don't. I really don't. But you said if I have faith in your son, then you would let me in. So I'm just, I'm just banking on that. I'm banking on Jesus. That's what faith is, is what we're banking on. And we, so he says, we are not saved by works. If you're banking on your works, your resume, your list of all the good you've done, all the people you've helped, all the money you've given, all the, the nice things you did for the old ladies crossing the street, right? If that's what you're banking on, you've missed it. You've missed it. He says, the only way we can be saved is by grace through faith. By grace, through faith. He says, it's not a, this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The point of it is this, is that we would all be the same. We would all be on the same field. No one is better than any other because we all are the same. No one can boast and say, well, look what I've earned. I got favor with God. Do you have that? Look what I've got. I've got eternal life. Do you have that? He says, this is not about what you've done so that you might boast. He knows we are prone to that. We are prone to exalt ourselves and compare ourselves and put ourselves on levels. He says, no, this is all by grace. Nobody deserves it, and God gives it freely. We are not saved by works. And Paul begins a transition here. He's foreshadowing what's to come in the second half of the book. He begins to say, you don't, it's not just something you believe, but it's something you live out. And, and that's what he's going to go to in verse 10. That we are not saved by works, but we are saved for works. We're not saved because of what we've done, but God has a purpose for us. He has a life that we're meant to live. Look at verse 10. And then we'll wrap up. He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He says, we are his workmanship. I think the word we would use today is handcrafted, right? And we, th we think of things that are handcrafted as, you know, high quality and good and made with a purpose and, and, and you know, 
that it has intention, right? There, there's, a, there's, a, there's value to it because it was handcrafted. He says we are God's workmanship. He handcrafted us for a purpose. And what was that purpose? It says that we were created in Christ for good works. So we are not saved by works, but we are saved for works. We're not nice people because we're trying to earn favor with God. Because we have favor with God, we're nice, right? We're, we're not giving people because we're trying to earn something with God. No, because we've been given so much by God, we give. You see how this works? We don't serve so that we build up a resume and, and prove to God that we deserve it. No, we know that we don't deserve it. And so we serve freely, right? We're saved not by works, but we are saved for works. God has a purpose. He doesn't just save you so that you have your get-out-of-hell-free card and you just kind of move on and do what you want with your life. No, he has a purpose. He wants you to live out the gospel. And it says that he prepared them beforehand that we should walk in them. God made you on purpose, and God saved you on purpose. And he saved you for a reason. And I can't enumerate all the things that God has for the number of people in this room. I can't. I can't tell you what your purpose is. You've got to figure that out in Scripture. But I know this one thing, this umbrella, what has he saved you to be? He saved you to be gospel people, to believe it, to live it out, to belong to it. He saved us to be gospel people wherever we go, whether that's right here in Huntington, Texas, or in Guinea, West Africa, or Houston, Texas, or Sierra Leone, or wherever it is that God takes you, to college, to a job, to a home, wherever. That's the good works that God has created you in advance for. And it's all by grace. It's all by grace. This is the gospel of grace. It's something God gives us freely. We don't deserve it, but we praise God for it. Amen. Let me pray this morning. The band's going to come forward and lead us in one final song. And uh, man, if you want to respond to this good news, I know a lot of churches do an invitation, and we have for a number of years. We've, we've kind of changed that because it's really hard for me to hear when a band is playing. And I got two minutes to discern whether what you're trying to say and right? It's, it's very difficult right here, and everyone's waiting, and everyone's looking, and there's a lot of pressure on this moment. If you want to respond to this good news, come find me after the service, after the song, so we can really talk, so I can really hear your heart, where you're coming from, what God's dealing with you on. Um, but we're all going to stand and sing, so let's, let's stand together. Uh, if you want to know Jesus, I want to help you, and I want to point you to him, but let's talk after this song. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for the good news of grace, God, that you love us so much that you were moved to action, that you were moved to respond. God, I thank you for the free gift that you offer. I thank you for unmerited favor. God, thank you that you poured out mercy on me and not wrath. God, I thank you for the good news of the gospel. God, may I live it out, may we live it out in every area of our life, and may we proclaim it to the ends of the earth. God, we love you. We pray all this in your son's name.